Welcome to Behind the Line, where we pull back the curtain on the challenges facing first responders and frontline workers. The work you do is unique, and so are the stresses that go with it. Join me as we tackle key issues to reduce risks for burnout, and as we work to support you in doing the job you love without sacrificing being the kind of person you want to be. Hey there, and welcome back to Behind the Line. I'm your host, Lindsay Foss. If you're new to Behind the Line, what you should know about me is that I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy, and after over a decade working with first responders and frontline workers around issues like burnout, compassion fatigue, PTSD, and related OSIs, I have become a passionate wellness advocate and educator for those who sacrifice so much for our communities out on the front lines. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real life behind the scenes challenges facing you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. While you're listening today, I would really, really appreciate it if you would take a moment to rate and review Behind the Line on Apple Podcast. Your support and feedback goes actually a super long way in making this resource more visible to others who work in first response and frontline work. Thanks so much in advance. Today, we're continuing our series spotlighting a few amazing helping professionals who have taken their experience and learning as frontline helpers and sought to go above and beyond in bridging gaps, offering supports, and calling out broken systems. Today, I'm joined by Michael Segru, a retired law enforcement officer and the author of Relentless Courage, Winning the Battle Against Frontline Trauma. We talk about the impacts of trauma, inspiration to help others in the thick of it, and ways forward to prevent people from finding themselves in the same dark places. I hope you enjoy this. Welcome, Michael. I'm so excited to have you here with me. We had some technical difficulties the first time we attempted this. I'm so excited that we were able to reconnect and reschedule and navigate all of those practical hurdles. So welcome to Behind the Line. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to get to chat with you because I think that there are some really cool things that you're doing that our audience is going to really enjoy hearing about. But before we talk about the current day things, why don't we talk a little bit about kind of who you are, what your professional, personal background looks like, um, and what people should know about you? It's a long story, so I'll try to keep it short. Um, I'm originally from uh, California, the San Francisco Bay Area. And for me, my interest in law enforcement actually began as a child. So I knew very early on that for me, it was a calling Mm. that I wanted to serve in uniform. And my grandfather was in the Army Air Corps, but my stepfather, who's the one who primarily raised me with my mother, he was in law enforcement and he was my hero. I mean, I truly looked up to him Mm. in all ways. He was a great father. He was a great husband to my mother. And at eight years old, I became a volunteer for his police department. And you know, really, it wasn't anything that was all that big of a deal. It was like washing patrol yeah. cars, filing paperwork. Um, but the big thing was riding with McGruff in the annual parade every year. But that's where I saw, like, the camaraderie. I saw yeah. the, the family environment, the, the teamwork. And I just felt like I was something, you know, part of something bigger than myself. And that's where it started. It carried on through high school. I became a police explorer for a different agency. And initially, my plan was to go into federal law enforcement. So it was going to be like the FBI or the DEA. 
And I knew with that being said, I needed to have a college degree and I also needed experience above that. So I decided to look into the military. I ended up getting a full scholarship through the Air Force, through the ROTC program. And I majored in criminal justice. I went to California State University, Sacramento. And when I graduated, I was actually a second lieutenant in the United States Air Force. And I got security forces, which was my first choice. That's basically military police, anti-terrorism, force protection, air base ground defense, nuclear security, you name it, a whole bunch of different things. And my original plan was to just do my four-year commitment and get out and go into the feds. Well, a lot of things happened. Um, first off, I was exposed to these actual federal agencies, and I quickly realized that it really wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And so I actually started looking more towards civilian law enforcement because I wanted to be out there in uniform, you know, mm-hmm. in a patrol car, interacting with people, actually feet on the ground doing the job every single day. Yeah. And I ended up getting stationed in Germany. So that actually extended my time commitment in the Air Force. Okay. And then 9-11 happened. And shortly after that, I found myself in the Middle East. And then eventually I was in South America. And so I stayed in longer. I got out in 2004 as a captain. So I served six and a half years in the United Mm -hmm. States Air Force. Then I came back to California and I got hired by the Walnut Creek Police Department, which is a medium-sized department. And it's about 15, 20 minutes outside of San Francisco, right here in the Bay Area. And while I was there, I kind of had a path. Like the whole, the whole time of my life, I had a path, I had a plan and someday, you know, I want to be chief of police and there's a lot of different things that I wanted to do as a police officer. Mm-hmm. And so I started fulfilling those goals. And at first I was just a regular patrol officer handling calls. Um, then I was a field training officer where I got to train actually new officers out of the academy, but also officers that were switching departments or lateraling to different agencies yeah. was eventually promoted to detective. And I was actually undercover on a California statewide drug task force where we focused on mid to high level drug dealers, including cartel members. And then I was promoted to sergeant back in Mm -hmm. 2012. And so I went back to the streets, back to uniform, and I was basically running teams on the street. Mm -hmm. And my life was amazing. It was perfect. I was happily married, had a beautiful daughter. Uh, My career was literally off the charts everything was happening the way I imagined it to be. And then one fateful night as a brand new patrol sergeant, that all changed. I was involved in a very traumatic incident, a fatal officer involved shooting where a man with a butcher knife was trying to kill a couple and then tried to kill myself and my fellow officers. And Mm -hmm. that incident really just, it changed me forever. It changed my career, changed my path. And eventually it actually led to my retirement in 2018 and i retired for what i call post-traumatic stress injury versus disorder yeah okay it's a long and amazing sounding career it's very long and i try to keep that as short as i could because there's a lot more i can talk about (laughs) i bet well and you know what it's i think it's really interesting because one of the really fascinating conversations i've had with a number of people now on this show has been around how that kind of um, that shift, right? Like the capacity to kind of move from one thing to another and to to take the training and skills I've had from one space and be able to utilize them, but kind of level them up in a different space. 
um, how for a lot of people that's been a really protective kind of part of how they've sustained for so long in the career. Because for those who get kind of hunkered down into one role, the burnout rate seems to be a lot faster within any given role. But when you're able to kind of shift and transition and adapt to new settings and adapt to new roles, there seems to be a different capacity to use that newness as something that protects us a little bit differently. So it's really interesting. Like I, I kind of think that that longevity within the career, it speaks something to the fact that you've done a lot of different things within it. I have, but you know, our career, especially as first responders is, is very unique. So even though there's different roles and different capacities, the, the ugly truth is that, you know, we're exposed to a lot of negativity, a lot of trauma. And yeah. when people call 911 here in the United States, they call on the worst day of their life. And so we are exposed to just trauma after trauma after trauma. And this really builds up and piles up over our careers and you know whether i was an officer or a field training officer or detective or patrol sergeant in every single one of those roles i was exposed to trauma Absolutely. i was exposed to danger um, in some cases i was exposed to pure evil and so that truly takes a toll and that's kind of where you know my mission is now today is that i kind of want to pull back the layers pull back the veil and really talk about the realities of who we are and the jobs that we have. And more importantly, talk about the effects on our, you know, not just our physical health, our mental health, but on our families, our loved ones, the people that we truly care about. In, in my case, I, I never could ask for help. Like literally at my mm -hmm. darkest times where I got to the point where I didn't want to be here anymore because of the stigma associated with mental health, among first responders, especially law enforcement and the military, I literally suffered in silence to the point mm. where I literally lost everything and almost ended up losing my life. And mm. that's where we need to just bring this out into the open and, and say, hey, it's okay to, to be human. It's okay to have feelings. It's actually normal, you know, to have emotions and to have these incidents impact us. But we just brush them off and pretend like, hey, this doesn't phase me. It doesn't affect me. But really inside, it's building up and building up. And it gets to that point where sometimes it just boils over and it's too late. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. Like, I think one of the things that I've wrestled with in my clinical work, and really, to some extent, it's what motivated the podcast to exist and other things I'm doing to happen, is that I, I get you guys when you are debating leaving, right? Or when you are in post-traumatic stress injury and can't go back to work for a period of time, right? I get those traumatic incidents and trying to work them through. And what's always fascinating to me is, is I get a lot of people who will come in and say like, well, it's this one call, but it's also not that one call and how far we really have to go back to really tackle the accumulated stress impacts that have happened over the course of a career. And one of the things I often talk about with people is the really important preventative skills that we can have, but they involve things like being able to name our emotions, being able to recognize them as information that we need to be attuned to and use tactically as a tool to then intervene for ourselves, um, ways we need to utilize connection as a protective part of our um, support system and keep ourselves safer. 
all of those depend on our willingness to have some degree of vulnerability, both with others as well as with ourselves. Like it really means being okay to be honest with us. And what's really fascinating about all of that to me is that it's not that it's hard to do that because any one of us are bad at it. It's hard to do it because we were never trained how. So when the language has been really highly stigmatized, where we really reinforce that feelings are weakness, of course, we're not training you to utilize those feelings tactically. That would be antithetical antithetical to the process, right? But if we can train that differently, we can help people be able to do that on the front end and recognize that like slippery slope place to catch it a bit earlier in the process so that they're not getting so far down before they're going, oh shit, this is a problem. I couldn't agree more. And that's why I advocate for going all the way back to, you know, the training academies and starting there. And that's really yes. where we lay the foundation for this culture, because, you know, in the academies, we spend so much time training on, you know, like defensive tactics, use of force, firearms, yeah. emergency driving, you know, documentation, report writing, the laws, all those types of things. But the reality is that the number one threat for all first responders, especially law enforcement, is ourselves. And the fact yeah. is that we're much more likely to die by our own hands, so die by suicide, than to Absolutely. be killed by some assailant on the street. Yet we spend countless hours. I mean, over a career, we're talking hundreds, thousands of hours that we spend on training to protect ourselves for the fight on the street, right? The fight against the yeah. bad person that we encounter on a call or on a traffic stop. But the reality is, we need to train ourselves to deal with our own health, to deal with our own minds when it comes to that point. And, and I agree with you that if we lay the foundation and set the culture that, hey, you know what? This is normal. We can talk about our feelings. We can talk about our emotions. We don't have to make this a big ordeal. It's like mm -hmm. just acknowledge the humanity of maybe a traumatic incident we just went to. Like, let's say I just went to a horrible car accident and whether mm -hmm. it was major injury or fatal you know, just after we're done with the logistics of that call to step aside and just, you know, acknowledge it and say, man, that, that was horrible. You know, I just, yeah. I, I can't believe what happened to this poor little girl. And, you know, I feel so bad for her parents and her family. And it's yeah. not saying that we need to stop what we're doing. It's not saying that, you know, we can't handle this job. It's just saying, look, let's just acknowledge it. Let's get it off our chest now instead yeah. of waiting till later. And usually what we do instead of doing that, we turn to negative coping mechanisms and that could be, you know, substance abuse or alcohol abuse, extra addiction, addictions, these really negative coping mechanisms. Just talking about it, but it's so you get having an open line of communication, family, your love, let them know that, hey, it's so, I had a bad day and kind of happened with deep. That's why I'm in a bad mood or I'm irritable. It has nothing to do with you. So I, I'm sorry, but I just need some time to decompress and then we can, we can talk about it, but that's what we need to establish. And I didn't do that. I made, I made a lot of big mistakes mm -hmm. early on in my career. And one of those was I thought I was protecting my family by never bringing the job home. And so I never talked about it. I never shared about it. And that led to a problem to where when it got to my breaking point, I hadn't had established that healthy lines of communication at home. And eventually that led to my divorce. Mm -hmm. um, it led to me having no support network. 
And that's the real problem, you know, is that yeah. if you wait till it's too late, it might actually be too late. Well, and I think that's one of the really hard things that I see so much in your guys' work, right? Like the stats aren't great in terms of marriages. The stats aren't great in terms of substance use. The stats aren't great in terms of suicidality. Like the stats aren't great for a lot of things that are kind of the hallmarks of are we feeling good in our lives? And how do we shift that? Because, I mean, you guys work so hard and and the reality is, is the heart is good, right? Like the heart is to be helpers. It's to make a difference. It's to make us safer. And we're failing you guys in making sure that you then get to have a life that you should deserve to have, right? Like we're, we as a culture, we as a, as a support system to the work that you do are failing to equip you to then be able to come home at the end of the day and feel okay in your life. And that's not okay. I agree. And, you know, but we also need to take ownership here. And we as first responders, especially law enforcement, we need to be more open with the communities mm -hmm. that we serve and let the people in and let them know who we are. Because, you know, there's a big separation. A lot of times the public yeah. just sees what appears to be a polished looking person in uniform who appears to be in control, taking charge, who doesn't really show feelings, doesn't show emotion. And they have no idea the level of trauma that we're exposed to or the split second, sometimes life, you know, decisions that we have to make. And, and that's the real difficult part is, is letting them in and just showing them who we really are. So mm. it goes both ways. You know, the community needs to support us and understand us, but we need to let them in in order to do that. I think that's actually really insightful. Um, it's interesting. I've been writing an article for crackle magazine for the last little bit and uh they, they asked me to consider writing an article on um grief and the, the request was can we do something on grief both in terms of of how first responders specifically they crackle magazine is a magazine for firefighters um, can we do something around grief as a process for the person experiencing the grief, the firefighter, the first responder? But can we also do something around how spouses can support their grieving first responder partner? And the questions were things like, like, what can my spouse do to see that I'm grieving? What can my spouse do to help me in my grieving? Um, can you write something about that? And I've had that as a post-it note on my wall for probably two months. And I keep looking at it being like, I need to tackle that. But the real difficulty in tackling it is actually the piece from the side of the spouse. Because they're not mind readers. And you're right. Like part of what the training somehow is, and I don't know if this is actually explicitly ever said or not, but the belief system is I'm keeping my family safer by holding this all in me and just, you know, venting about it with, you know, those at the station or whatever. Um, I don't bring it home. I don't let it penetrate this like safe haven space. But in so doing, we set the people in our sphere of influence at home up to fail because they can't know and be adequately responsive to the needs that then might show up there because they don't read minds, right? Like they don't know that today's hard day was any different than yesterday's hard day. 
but it could have been very, very different than yesterday's hard day. And so I love what you're sharing about this piece around letting people in, because you're right, that is a really huge catch point, I think, for a lot of marriages, for a lot of families. I talked to a lot of like teenage kids that ask, like, why is my dad like this? And I'm like, well, here's what you need to know about what your dad does for a living, right? They're like, how come he's never told us about that? I don't know, because apparently it's a big secret and it's trying to keep you safer by not telling you, except you're experiencing all the ramifications of it. You just have no context for why, right? So you get dad when he's like irritable and kind of angry. You just think that's about you. You think it's because you're a bad kid because you did something wrong, even though you have no idea what it was. But it's actually because dad had this thing happen at work like a week ago and he's still not okay about it, right? And so if we don't create some space to be able to have those conversations with our closest people, we do run risks of creating harm in those relationships totally unintentionally, but still very real and impactful. Behind the Line is sponsored by Beating the Breaking Point. Beating the Breaking Point is a seven-part online training program designed specifically for first responders and frontline workers and tailored to fill the gaps in your training to support resilience and sustainability. Whether you're new to the work and wanting to cultivate tools to prevent burnout, compassion fatigue, and related concerns, or you are deep into your years on the job and have gone a few rounds with burnout and other mental health challenges, this program offers the foundational pieces you need to support personal and professional wellness for the long haul. You are a helper, you love your work, and you sacrifice a lot. Investing in you and your sustainability is the best gift you can give yourself and those who lean on you. We make this program as risk-free as possible by offering a limited money-back guarantee to ensure that it's a fit for you. If you enjoy Behind the Line, you are going to love this program. Google Beating the Breaking Point Lindsay and find everything you need to get started or use the link in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. Absolutely. And that's why Doc Shauna Springer and I wrote this book, you know, Relentless Courage, Winning the Battle Against Frontline Trauma, because that's what this book does is it shows the realities of the job, but it also shows the realities of the impact on ourselves, on our family members and the most amazing thing that I've seen come out of this project is, and I've heard this time and time again, is that mm-hmm. either a first responder or a spouse or partner of a first responder will get the book, they'll read it, and they'll give it to their other half, and they will read it. And afterwards, they'll come together and they'll actually have a conversation for the very first time to mm-hmm. talk about these issues, to talk about these subjects, because this book really lays that foundation to where it gives people a total understanding. And that's you could be literally a total stranger on the street and have no clue, not know personally a first responder, but this book is going to change all of that for you. It's going to change your perception and it's going to show you the real human behind the badge and behind the uniform. That's amazing. Okay. So let's talk about the book because aside from the very fantastic career that you led for a very long time, I'm always fascinated by people who last more than five years in this job. Um, Like you had a legitimately long career here. 
beyond that, you've now taken on this project and I would love to hear about what motivated the project, what made that come to life for you, um, and some of the things that felt really meaningful for you in choosing to tackle a book. You know, I didn't ever plan for any of this or envision any of it, honestly. Um, I have to go a little bit farther back and tell you not just how the book got started, but how this part of my life got started. And so when I medically retired in 2018, honestly, I was still ashamed. I was still embarrassed. And I didn't talk to people about why I had retired. I didn't share with them the things that I'd gone through or was going through. And I went through a long recovery process of post-traumatic stress, mm -hmm. um, trying a bunch of different things that, that worked. And I came out the other side of it. And mm -hmm. back in 2019, a former police officer I didn't know, his name was Danny Bird. He reached out to me on LinkedIn and he said, hey, I'm a, I'm a fitness guy. I know you're into fitness. I, I do a podcast and I'd love to have you on to talk about you know mental health and how that correlates with physical health. And mm. I said, you know, I, I'm really not interested. I'm, I'm flattered by the offer, but I just, it's not my thing. I'm not really want to be out there sharing my story like that. And so I turned him down and thankfully he, he harassed me and bothered me for a while after that. And, and I'm so yeah. glad he did because we did the interview eventually. And this is where the change happened is when that interview got shared, um, this kind of darkness and burden, like the shame that I was holding in, I was just keeping it inside. It was out there now for the world to see and hear. I had no more control over it. And um, instead of being judged and getting, you know, hateful messages or hurtful messages, I actually started getting messages from all over the world. I mean, Australia, the UK, Canada, all over the US on yeah. people that listened to that interview and talked about how my story resonated with their story. And then they started mm -hmm. sharing their story with me. And that's where I quickly realized that, you know, I'm not alone and they realize they're not alone. And there's so many other people out there that are literally just suffering in silence. And so mm -hmm. that single podcast led to, I mean, a whole bunch of podcasts after that. I think I've done over like 65 podcasts now, yeah. but a couple of years back, I actually started public speaking. Mm -hmm. And now I travel across the country and speak at training conferences or symposiums or speak to law enforcement, military agencies. And then to go back to right before COVID, my co-author, Dr. Shauna Springer, she's a clinical psychologist. Um, she's truly um, informed. She gets it. She's culturally competent. VA, uh, Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors and First Responders most of her career. And so she reached out to me and just said, hey, I like to have a phone call to see what you're doing, to tell you about what I'm doing. I was like, okay, you know, yeah, sure. So she calls me up and she tells me about her work now with stellate ganglion block, which is a medical procedure to treat the physical symptoms of post-traumatic stress. And at the time I was like really skeptical. I was like, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. um, you know, whatever. I didn't really believe in it, but long story short, I eventually got that done and we talked about it in the book and I am a believer now, but I then shared my story with her, my very dark, deep personal story that I share in our book. And she asked me afterwards, she said, you know, have you ever thought about writing a book? And I said, honestly, um, I kind of thought about it for a short time, but I just, you know, I really don't think I could do it with post-traumatic stress. I don't have the same motivation. I don't have the drive. Like, I just, I don't think I could get that done. And so we leave the conversation with that. A couple months later, she hits me back up and says, look, 
I've really been thinking about you and your story and it's, it's really just been sitting with me. And she said, you know, I've heard hundreds and hundreds of trauma stories throughout my career, but your story is going to help save countless people. And she said, I want to make this book a reality and I want to do this book with you. And in that moment, and we had never met in person. I, I said, let's do it. Like I knew in my heart it was right. And so COVID happened. We didn't even meet in person till after a year into this project. And wow. what makes this project, yeah, it's, it's an amazing story. What makes this project so unique is that, you know, usually you have to either like buy a book that has somebody's story, right? It has like a very mm -hmm. traumatic personal story or like biography. And then you have to buy like a clinical textbook to learn about post-traumatic stress or, you know, psychology. Yeah. And in this case, you kind of have both because yeah. the unique format of it is every chapter is split into two parts. The first part is my story and my voice all the way back to childhood until present day. And the second half of every single chapter, Doc Springer breaks it down. She explains it, but in very easy to understand terms that anybody yeah. will understand it. You don't have to be a psychology student or a therapist or a counselor, but you're mm -hmm. truly going to see the human behind the badge. And so this book came out April 2022. Um, it's been a bestseller for over 20 weeks, bestseller both in the United States and in Canada. And it's mm -hmm. literally, it's saving marriages, it's saving relationships, it's saving careers. But most importantly, this book is saving lives. Yeah. Congratulations. It sounds like it's a project that happened by absolute accident that is amazing, which are the best kind. It is. It isn't. You know, I look at it another way. I look at it as it was meant to be. You know, I don't think it was by accident. Uh, I think I think everything yeah. happens for a reason. And even when my career ended, that's never how I planned it. It's never how I mm. wanted it to be. But when I look back now, I literally wouldn't change anything that happened to me because I now know that I'm here for a reason. I'm here for a purpose. And this mm -hmm. is my mission in life now. It's to share my story and let people know that there is hope, there is help, yeah. and there is a whole new life on the other side of post-traumatic stress recovery. And I'm living proof of that. I'm living mm -hmm. an amazing, wonderful life now. I mean, better than I ever imagined. Mm -hmm. I love so much when we choose to be vulnerable, when we choose to risk into those spaces the freedom that comes with that like i love how you described that first podcast and that feeling of shame um just kind of like lifting off because it's it's out there now and it's fascinating because like brene brown shares a lot about this idea that shame can't survive when it's seen right so shame only lives because we hold it and keep it hidden and we let it be this thing that just spins around and around and around inside of us and with that it gathers steam right like it it becomes bigger and as soon as we start to share honestly and vulnerably with safe people who care about us about those things we discover that they're not as bad as we feel like they are, right? Like they, they don't have the same power over us once they are given air and sunlight. And so I love that reflection that I was carrying this shame and then I had this experience of sharing about it. And not only was it not judged, it was affirmed, it was uplifted. I was cared about in that. I received other people's stories who were like, oh my gosh, me too. 
Right. And that's the really powerful thing about about humanity, right? We we share so much more than we don't. And so when we get to create those spaces for vulnerability, we find that there is really amazing connection and healing that comes there. And I think that that's a really cool piece of your story and a really cool piece that you're then offering through this book by creating this narrative that is your story. And yet I'm so sure others are going to read and just feel like it echoes so many parts of their own story. Absolutely. Because, you know, the thing is, I'm not unique and I'm not special. Um, the only thing that is unique about me is that I'm willing to talk about it. And mm -hmm. I literally bear my soul in this book. I talk about the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, there's a lot of mistakes that I made and I want people to learn from that. I, I don't want them to make the same mistakes. And so that was difficult. But like you said, it's so healing to just get that off your chest and to, to know that you're not alone. You're not the only one, that you're not strange, that there's not something wrong with you, that the thoughts that you're having, the feelings that you're having, it's normal. Mm -hmm. These are all normal reactions to the horrific things that we have to see and we have to deal with. Totally. I'm curious, in the year and a bit since the book came out, what kinds of responses have you guys received to the book? And like, has there been kind of a most meaningful story that you've received in terms of feedback that's come? You know, I've, I've received so many and I've actually met a lot of people personally that have reached out to me that have read this book and we sat down and had coffee or had lunch and they talked about how this book really just changed their entire life and mm. allowed them to acknowledge what they've kind of known all along, but they've never really dealt with or talked about. And um, like I said, to me, I think the most powerful stories are the ones of the people that were so close to suicide that were so close to the end mm -hmm. that literally got help because of this book. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is you said it, but when people read this, they are going to say me too. And you don't have to be a first responder or a military member. Cause there's a lot of personal things that I talk about in this book with my relationship, with my, you know, my marriage, with family members, with health issues, mm -hmm. with all these things that are just going to resonate across the board. And you know, I literally wake up every day and, and almost every single day I either get a message or there's a new review posted on this book. And, and that's the thing is like, and I'll tell you right now for listeners, if you go to Amazon and you type in Relentless Courage, um, right now, I believe there's 412 reviews. And most of these reviews are multiple paragraphs. They're very personal. They're very heartfelt. People put a lot of time energy, emotion, and feelings into writing this. And so the fact that complete strangers from all over the world, I mean, this book is sold in seven different countries and they're literally bearing their souls in a public forum, like writing a review on Amazon. It just, it blows my mind. I mean, the fact is, is like, I get so much joy and encouragement from reading those and getting these messages. And that's what keeps me going. That's what pushes me and pushes me to never stop in this fight because mm. I know there's people out there that are suffering in silence. And if I can reach just one of those people, mm -hmm. then I've met my goal. I've done my mission, but I want to reach so many more. Yeah. I want to reach as many people as I can. Mm. I love it. Michael, I'm so grateful for people like you who are willing to risk into those hard spaces, right? Like it's it's not easy, it's often not fun. It is 
a shit ton of work. Um, we were chatting before I hit the record button about, you know, like you were trained to be law enforcement. You weren't trained to be an author and marketer of books, right? Like that's not the background. And so it's always, um, I think, fascinating to me, but also really special to me when people are willing to say, yeah, I know I don't know anything about this. And yet I feel this is so important that I'm willing to do it anyway and figure it out. Because if I don't, who's going to? Right. And I think one of the things I've loved about this podcast is it's given me the chance to connect with people who think like that, because I think that's how I think too. And it's why this podcast exists is the exact same kinds of reasons. But, and as we get to connect with each other, I think we get to kind of feel empowered off of each other that like, oh, it's not, I'm not alone in the fight trying to make people hear and see and know that they're not alone and they don't have to suffer in silence, that there's others out there who are equally passionate about these pieces and are equally willing to risk discomfort in order to try to help and make a difference. And so I really value the work that you're doing and what you've contributed to the world through this book. I think it's amazing. And here's the, you know, we all have a story. I mean, everyone out there, again, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what you do for a living, I mean, we all have a past, we all have a future, and we all have a story. And sharing our own story is healing for ourselves, but when we share it with other people, that can be so healing and helpful for them as well. And that's where that connection comes into is that yeah. you have to be vulnerable first if you want other people to be vulnerable with you. And, and that's the key is that, you know, in society, we're so wrapped up in image and being perfect and how we're perceived. And in reality, it's like, let's just be ourselves. Let's yeah. just be the real humans that we are and, and talk, you know, I tell people like they ask for advice, like, you know, how do you do it when you speak and, you know, mm -hmm. interviews? And I said, look, I don't, I don't practice nothing scripted. I don't know questions ahead of time. I just speak from the heart. That's yeah. all I do. And I tell people, if you speak from your heart, it's never going to be wrong. It's always mm -hmm. going to be right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So good. Okay. As we wrap up today, Michael, I'm curious if there's anything else that you would want people to know either from you about the book, about where to find some of the things that you're up to, but would you want them to know? Well, some exciting news. So we actually just got out of the studio and we recorded an audible version of this book, but it's in our own voices. So we didn't hire any actors. You're actually going to mm -hmm. hear Doc Springer's story, my story, straight from the heart. You're going to hear it with emotion. You're going to hear it with power. And I'm so excited about this new format because it's going to reach so many more people and it's going to be yeah. earth shattering. It's going to be groundbreaking, but that's coming out at the very end of this month. So June, we're looking at maybe June 29th, June 30th. It will be on audible. Um, the book is on Amazon. Currently there's a hardcover paperback. It's also on Kindle and mm -hmm. it's also gotten to other platforms like Barnes and Noble eBay. There's some other um, different businesses that have picked it up, but yeah. I highly encourage you to get this book. And I guarantee that if you do guarantee it, you will not be able to put it down mm -hmm. um, this book. It's going to help you. It's going to help your family. It's going to help your loved ones. And in the back of this book, we have a whole resources section that has vetted resources. Some that I've personally used from, you know, confidential hotlines, text lines to week long retreats. Yeah. Um, from nonprofits and different groups that are out there dedicated to helping save 
save lives. And I thought for so long that there was nothing out there, no resources, nobody helping. And it turns out there's tons of resources out there, tons and tons. So if you're out there struggling in silence, if you're thinking that you're the only one, if you're thinking that no one's going to understand you, no one's going to truly get it, I promise you they will. All you have to do is get the strength and courage to ask for that help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a good final message. Thanks so much, Michael. I've really appreciated having you on. It was my pleasure. Thank you. I want to extend one more really big thank you to Michael for taking the time to join me today. As we wrap up, let me remind you that if you value this podcast and want to help us in our mission to support frontline wellness, there are three ways that you can join us to do that. The first one is to take the second to rate and review behind the line on Apple podcast or wherever else you might be listening. The second way is you can follow me on social media at Lindsay A. Foss and engage with me there. Every time that you like, comment, and share our posts, you use the power of the algorithm to help us spread like wildfire. And last but not least, share this resource and our other resources with those you know. If you would like a poster or info cards about the podcast for your workplace, shoot me an email at support at thrive-life.ca. Know that we can be found online on our website, on most major podcast platforms, as well as on YouTube. We make all of our resources available to you because the work that you do really matters. But way more than that, you matter. And we want to make sure that you have what you need to keep up the good work at work, as well as in your very real and meaningful life outside of the work that you do. So use it and share it. And until next time, stay safe.